Welcome to Good Cop, Bad Cop Readings Crime Books Podcast. My name is Fiona Hardy and I'm behind the dead right column in the Readings Monthly. Today I'm talking to JP Pomare about his book Call Me Evie, published by Hachette. Also with me today is my colleague Deborah Cap Crabtree. Hi. 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 Welcome, Josh, JP. We'll call you JP for yeah. the purposes of this podcast. Um, so my first question, I think, um, tell us about the novel, Call Me Evie. It's your debut novel. Um, how would you describe it to someone if they came up to you and said, okay, t- what's your book about? Yeah, I hate this question. Mark. I know. <laughs> um, I would say, I mean, it's a psychological suspense novel, so in a broad sense it fits into the crime genre. Uh, it's a novel about a young woman who um, sort of you know, emerges from a bit of a stupor in a country she's never been with a man she's not sure if she can trust. Um, and, uh, and she's sort of running away from an event she can't fully remember um, and certainly um, doesn't necessarily trust the way she remembers it and the way that the gentleman she's with retells it um, and he's anything but a gentleman. <laughs> so, um, and, yeah, so she's... so it's. Um, I mean, it deals with uh, themes of trauma, um, memory, um, uh, sort of this broad concept of inherited violence and and inherited um, traits, mental traits as well. So there's all sorts of um, psychological elements I wanted to kind of explore. Yeah, is that <laughs> um, a good answer? Yeah, 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 no, it, it, it was a good like, answer. I hate was. talking about it because I always just see that like trying to avoid spoilers it's yeah like well that, that's kind of the shells. point like we kind of went well <laughs> it's better to for you to talk about it than to us say well this 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 and this happens and oh damn there's the you know yeah. the spoiler i was i was doing an event and someone most of the people in the room i assume hadn't read it and they asked like so did this happen? Like, so basically, what happened after the end of the book? And it was the biggest twist. <laughs> oh, the biggest. Oh, and, I, and I was like, and then I was like, I don't know how to answer that. I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. And mm. then we just sort of continued. Because it was really awkward. Like, um, the, the people at the bookshop, so the, mm. who organised the event, were just like, And then, like, I, I just hope people didn't really pay much attention, yeah. but it was a it was a big one, so I was oh, like, oh, uh, damn. <laughs> it's always interesting with that type of thing as well. It's like watching a movie that you already know how it's going to end and watching it again because you enjoy it. It would be interesting to know what it was like for people who yeah. did, re- did read it after hearing that, knowing it the whole way through, you know, what actually changed mm. in their experience yeah. of the book, you know, because it's still an enjoyable thriller getting there. So, you know, it's... Yeah, yeah. And, and my thing with um, books, like I, I think of... Um, so a good a good book for me was uh, Michael Robotham's The Other Wife, mm-hmm. and I picked the picked the twist really early, and that didn't diminish the experience of reading. And yeah. for me, that's that's what a good book is like. It doesn't rely on twists. So I just hope that people are still like, oh yeah, it's not it's not yeah. too bad. Like, you know. <laughs> and there is that thing too where you you might pick it early, but as you as you're reading through. You kind of, you know, you, you're taken away from that, and then you you start to doubt your own yeah. kind of thing, yeah. and 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 you're going along. With, well, maybe this is not. That's what's a really going satisfying yeah. reading experience. Yeah. As well. yeah, 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 yeah. I talk myself out of it frequently. I was like, I think I'm I'm sure it's this, and then like five pages later, I was like, is it? Is it? No, it's not that. It's not that. I'm completely wrong, aren't I? Mm. And then later on, I'm like, no. Oh, yeah. It's, it's which is really great. Like, yeah. it's great in in a book like that as well. Because there's some books where I just. I don't even try, but I kind of really wanted to nut this one out as well. Like, it yeah. was a really enjoyable to be like, all right, I'm going to get get my thinking on rather than with an Agatha Christie where I'm like, I'm just going to not know and then I'm going to be surprising <laughs> when Poirot is like, the butler, like, what a shock. 
And um, like even when I go see movies with my partner, he's always like halfway through, he's like, he's like Fiona, I think this happened. And I'm like, shut up. I don't yeah. want to know because he's always right. Yeah. And I think as a writer, you are, particularly in movies, I'll be like, someone mentions a nut allergy. I'm like, cool. So you're dying. Yes. Because yeah. Someone, yeah. You know? yeah. So like, I think you are more savvy to like little clues and things, mm. particularly in movies, because it's so much more sparse in terms of what they can include. With books, you can have like loads of random red hearings. Where yeah. movies, if they mention a nut allergy, <laughs> you're like, cool, something's going to happen with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And um, how did the kind of the, the idea for Call Me Evie come about? You know, where, where did you come from with this? Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we always are about to ask the same question. <laughs> um, the idea was, I mean, it's it's funny because other projects I work on, I have this really fully formed idea of what the story is. Um, and that's certainly been the case with, with book two. I've been, I've known the story. I've known, to some extent, the structure. Um, with Call Me Evie, the very first thing I had was setting. Um, so it was it's set in Makatu, which is a place that's really sort of close to me. Um, I've got a lot of um, experience out there. Um, it's in New Zealand. It was about 40, 45 minutes from where I grew up. Um, so... I had that setting in mind and it was it was this there's a sort of nexus happened where I got that setting and I got this character and I and I sort of put them together. I said if this character who I was obsessed with um, and I really liked and, and she was fully formed, this character, Kate slash Evie, um, if I take her from her sort of insular inner city kind of private school girl existence, um, where she hasn't necessarily seen a lot of she hasn't been confronted or seen a lot of violence and most mm. of her most of her experience although in the past has been traumatic um has been reasonably typical of an inner city environment mm. and i and i just deposit her in this place that's like exceptionally beautiful but also very rugged and at times confronting um and that's that was the idea so she's there and she's in this place and i'm thinking how did she get there um Who's she with? Why is she there? What's her plans? How's she going to get back? And and so that's how the sort of form our story formed, um, which was a kind of cool but at times frustrating writing experience. <laughs> Yeah. It's always interesting to know how these stories kind of start out. And I was wondering as well, actually, um, reading about the, the actual environment and how beautiful mm. it was. Like, did you, were you, like you said it was close to you. Was it somewhere you went to a lot and you were like, one day this is going to be the setting of a crime story. It's creeping me out right yeah. now. Is that what it was? Yeah. Or? I mean, I, I hate recycling anecdotes, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> so so we, we would go over there a lot, uh, Makatu. I, um, I had a friend who had a batch. And when, you, when you're in New Zealand, you can you're, you get your restricted licence. When I was growing up, certainly at the age of 15, you can have it. So 15 and six months, um, you get your learners, then you get restricted. And as soon as that happens everyone piles into cars and they drive away and you know like you just want to get away from your parents or, or whatever so <laughs> um and i at the age of 15 wasn't living at home so i had a i'd been kicked out and all my friends i'm always like let's go to makatu or so wherever anyone had a batch which tend to be makatu or the neighboring beach pukahina um and we'd go over and, and we just um do what kids do we'd have bears if we could for any or we'd go down to the beach or whatever um we'd go floundering or fishing or surfing um and have a really good time but we did have a lot of sort of run-ins with the locals but they were f quite funny for us you know it was like a dare like it was exciting um it was something different and new and we never thought we'd get in any serious trouble um but there was an incident where we were leaving town um and we had had things happen that were quite like like one time we were in the surf and a car backed right up to ours this big truck and like 
did a bird and flung all these stones. Like, yeah. and I was just like, oh, that's a bit weird, but whatever. <laughs> and we're out in the water and we just looked at each other and just sort of laughed, like, oh my God, I can't believe that happened. Um, but one time we heard, like, we were driving down town and we heard something hit the car and we saw, oh. and then we heard something else hit it. And, um, and it was just a stone kind of hit the windscreen. We're like, oh. So we looked up and saw these kids of probably 11 or 12 sort of standing there watching us and we all piled out of the car and we just wanted them to run that's all we wanted like we wanted to kind of scare them and feel like you know we we had some sort of dominance or authority or whatever um and they they didn't run they just sort of stayed there and went what do we do now (laughs) and the most disconcerting thing was um they just bent and picked up stones and continued to throw them (laughs) but at us and we were just like do we throw like we actually just piled back in the car and sort of sped out of town um and it was like we were laughing or like that was pretty messed mm-hmm. up. Um, but, I, you know, that's how we interpret it. But I just remember thinking this would be the perfect place to hide out if you're ever running from something um, because they do, the, the locals really do sort of close ranks. They don't like the police. Um, they um, There's a real sort of gang presence. So there's there's so much about it that I loved as a setting and so much about it that made me think it would be a good, good place to sort of mm. escape to. Um, fortunately, I never had to <laughs> escape there, but I, th- I think if probably might have been 10 years or eight years later, I thought, um, I really want to set a novel mm. there. So, yeah. So you, you've gone back, you said, a few times. Has it has it changed at all in it that has, time? Yeah. yeah. It's a really funny thing, you know. I write about memory so much in this, mm. and I was obsessed with memory, and it's something that I, I think about a lot. Um, and I don't, I don't trust my mind. You know, I don't mm. trust my memories or even... I'm reluctant to have a firm position on almost anything because I change my mind so much um, and I'm aware of that. And one thing that was really striking, even though I'm fully aware of these biases and these things that happen in, in the brain, when I went back, I was still so surprised at how different my fictionalised Makatu was to the real place. Right. Um, and, and it certainly had changed and I could see that. Um, but out of necessity for the story, I had to move a shop. Um, I had to make a road longer um, where their house is positioned I had to make it slightly more barren so it wasn't as built up I don't mention in the book that there are some newer houses some like holiday homes that have been um, built so when you exist in this fictional world for that long and that's your soul sort of concentration you're fully immersed in this world um, that sort of replaced in a way my my memory of of the place Um, so when I was writing it I did go back and I videoed the drive-in so I could ride it and I was really concentrating on things that my wife who I took back was noticing um, that I wouldn't oh, have. So fresh eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she so there's things she observed that made the made the book. Um, that to me it was I could never be that objective. Um, I was sort of too close or it just was too pedestrian or standard. I didn't realise that that was so different for her. So mm. um, so but, but what I did find was even those times I was referring back to my notes and photos and things like that, when I did go back after the book came out, which was recently, um, it, yeah, it was just this sort of really strange kind of, um, it was almost like, you know, I was like dislocated almost, you know, like it was like I wasn't really there. It was like a different place mm-hmm. altogether. Um, and, it, and it had changed, like I said, but my imagining of it was so sort of comprehensive that I lost that you know what the, the place world. yeah yeah, yeah. Yes. i mean it's like almost like the fictional places become the real yeah you know, and as someone who's like smug about how much i research memory and how much i tried <laughs> to understand it i was subject to one of those biases you know yeah. I, I i've experienced firsthand 
how memory does change and how storytelling changes our perception of, of yeah. memory as well. So what sort of research into memory did you do? I mean, there's the two sort of quotes at the front, yeah. um, you know, based on memory, a Shakespeare and a Daniel, Daniel Kahneman. Yeah. Kahneman. And, um, yeah, they're, they're really, sort of really put you into, okay, this is going to be a really interesting um, novel about memory. And it really, really, you know, it, it really explores that well. So what... What research did you? Do yeah, so memory? I mean, so the first thing I would say is um, Daniel Kahneman and uh, and another um, behavioural economicist, uh, Amos Tversky, are like the godfathers mm. of um, behavioural economics. But also, he um, Daniel Kahneman has written a lot about memory. So I tried to sort of read some of his white papers. So he's papers got the thinking fast, yeah, and thinking so, which is still a huge. Oh, seller. we saw so many. Of them. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's such an incredible yeah. book, um, and it's just again, it's so comprehensive. You know, like um, I've read that book loads of times. Right. Yeah. Um, so and 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 some of his white papers and some of his talks. I try to. I try to. I think he um, more than anyone has sort of. Um, research th- these areas but there's there's a whole bunch I mean there's a, a tr- real book that's mentioned in there um, about memory that I that I sort of looked into and read um, so I just I just tried to read a lot about psychology and about memories and false memories um, and false mem- you know the sort of manipulation of of memory as well particularly in children because so many of our um, early memories are just stories our parents have told us we, we you mm. know we were too young to actually form memories um and the way that extreme emotion this was another thing i was really excited to sort of read about was the way extreme emotion um that that's what forms memories so when you're really happy or like early memories so when you're really happy really scared really sad those are the moments you remember um, as significant. So I did just do a lot, as much reading as I could, but I also sort of interrogated my own um, memories as much as mm. possible as well. So um, I think intuitively people understand that memories change. Like you, if you ever get together as a family or whatever and, you, and you're reminisce <laughs> and you're like, that's not how I remember it. Yeah. I feel like we've had just a massive, we've all had a massive flash to that exact experience yeah. of like my partner and his sister are constantly fighting. They, um, my partner's convinced that his sister fell down the escalator at Parliament Station, the tall one. Yeah, yeah. She's like, that never happened. And he's like, totally did. And I'm like, oh, that seems like a really formative experience. Like, yeah. So we still never come to a proper conclusion yeah. whether it actually happened or and not. Like, and so the other thing I find really interesting is you go back to your childhood home and it's so much smaller oh. than you remember mm-hmm. you know so when you're when you're little you just remember things being so much bigger because you because you are smaller yeah. you know like <laughs> it, it just makes sense but i went when i was back in um Rotorua, my hometown i um i went to the church where my mum's funeral was and i remember i was uh i was 11 and i remember thinking this place is enormous and grand and like mm. you know just my my memories of that day was this huge just absolutely packed because there were people outside and stuff um because we ran out of seats but i remember it being huge and i went back and it's and it's really not mm. it's um yeah. it was quite small so i think intuitively like i said you you do understand and appreciate how memories change but for me it was important to understand um as much as it is a science the sort of science and and some of the research um uh, that's been conducted into memory so yeah my research was just reading um i mean when i say research i was interested in this long before i wrote the book as well mm. so um when i say it's not it wasn't really research but that's where i was that's what sort of informed my my approach to to writing about memory yeah
I think you've, like it's handled well though. I think your knowledge of it rather than just like, sometimes you read books where it seems like someone's done an immediate research into us and then it becomes a real data dump. Like you're reading this book and you're like, oh, you just learned a lot about that, didn't you? Because I'm feeling awash with information. But yours came across quite organically as much as I yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. <laughs> hate saying that phrase. But like, yeah, it never felt like a data dump of information. I guess because you had that knowledge going into the book yeah. rather than going, I'm just going to do a bit of research today mm. and then I'm going to write down all of my thoughts in a row. I mean, I'm, it's funny because I'm writing... I'm I'm editing the second one at the moment, and um, I've done that. I, I'm going through. And I'm like, why did you? This isn't even necessary <laughs> because what I'm writing about, I don't think I understand understand as much as I, I did about memory. So I'm sort of I was learning while I was writing, and mm. it's and it's different because you can't just call upon, um, you know, you can't. Yeah, it's not organic. You can't call upon in a way um, that's subtle. You you're like, oh, I know this. I'm going to plug it in there so people understand that it's. That I've done the research or the work or whatever. It's a really strange thing. Yeah, that's what editing's for, I guess. <laughs> you go, oh, all right, okay, pass. Pass, Josh, need to do that. Because I'm thinking, I'm, doing, I'm editing something at the moment and I'm like, oh, pass, Fiona, you didn't, that was really unnecessary. Yeah. Why was this entire page? It's like hand-handed. Is- it's like, cool, yeah. you know, you just sort of plug it in there because you're like, oh, I want, I want people to know this because it was... If it's fresh as well, you're probably still more interested in it. Yeah. Mm. And I think, I mean, that is the point of editing too, isn't it? You know, just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's bad. You know, <laughs> you put it all in there and then, yeah, remove it. Yeah. What was the path to publication for Call Me Like mm. going from when you came up with that idea to actually getting it here, sitting beside us now. And yeah. It's beautiful this, this amazing moment with uh, us. Yeah. This is your entire career. <laughs> um, oh, we knew it. <laughs> uh, I think, so it was, I mean, I don't think... I think people have this really romantic, like, win the lottery moment um, where people... I saw that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be so subtle. Well, so oh, there was a, a weird spill of water. Uh, uh, oh, okay, I missed it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think Tom, just edit those visuals out, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think there is this romantic vision people have, like, someone wins the lottery, you know, in terms mm. of publishing, it's like, oh, you, you slush pile, whatever. Um, but I think I was a lot more pragmatic about it. Um, I'm... Uh, I'm sort of I, I approached the publishing industry in a way where I, I wanted to publish a book and I, it wasn't um, I didn't have that sort of artistic integrity where I just wanted to create art um, I think there is there was that compulsion but I, I also wanted to couple it with uh, an approach that would be would give me the best possibility to sort of form a career I guess um, out of it so um, I wanted to make sure that I was that my writing was good you know um, so it wasn't about writing a book and crossing my fingers. Mm. I, because I had written stuff years ago and gone back and read it and gone, this is crap. I could appreciate that there was progress, and then yeah. I wasn't. And then I sort of, you know, intuitively, I'm like, well, maybe it's still crap. Um, maybe I'm still getting better. So for me, it was just about making sure I I, I got the craft right. Um, so I wrote a lot of short stories. Um, I wrote a lot of articles and reviews and things. Um, but the short stories weren't getting published, but it was that thing where as soon as someone responded as a rejection, I saw that as validation and as progress. I'm like, I must be getting better because I wasn't getting rejections before. I was getting nothing. Um, (laughs) And it's this weird, like, you know, extreme buzz of excitement when someone rejects your work for the first time because they're acknowledging that it exists. Yeah. It's really weird. You tried. Like, you you put yourself out there. You don't get rejected from things you don't try and put in. I think it was, it might have been, like, Southerly or something. It was one of the um, literary journals um, respondents said, hey, you know, this was good, but it's not really for us. Good luck placing it or whatever. And I'm like, oh, Hmm. my God. Um, (laughs) A good rejection. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I was like, I was like, wow. You know, like, it was really exciting. And, um, 
and then I had a couple of short stories published um, online and that was really exciting and then um, one or two in print and I think the first big one was like Mianjin which was like mm. really mm. exciting um, but that was like I said I was thinking I'll get shorts I'll, I'll wait until I I've got that validation until someone acknowledges that it's my writing's not horrendous you know mm. and that was the point where I go okay cool so mate I'm almost there craft wise what story do I have that might that I could write as a novel because I did read a lot of short stories, but I read so many more novels, and my ambition was always to write novels, and I think I'm more comfortable in that form now. Um, and I think that's, you know, some short story writers only write short stories yeah. or really short novels. Um, but for me, I like the opportunity to, the sort of world building and to kind of really explore um, my characters and the, and, and the way they change and, and develop. And I think short stories, you get that insight into character, but you don't, it's hard to show that for me anyway to show that progression or how characters change and develop so um yeah my approach was really pragmatic and then i've then i started pitching this novel um when i had written half a dozen drafts um i had a dream agent who i really wanted to work with and just uh, just purely out of luck and that's something um the publishing industry don't tend not to <laughs> talk about there got, there's this concept of genius or whatever you know or this inaccessibility that um that they like to promote um but for me yeah there was so, so much luck so um getting the getting the the manuscript in the hands of my agent who had just gone back from maternity leave like it was ev everything sort of just seemed to work um and she was pretty happy. We, we we made a few sort of edits and then took it out to the market. And then um, we, we had offers and eventually I ended up with Hachette and I couldn't, couldn't be happier. Um, mm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, that's really great. I was wondering as well, with a, with a publication, like with a story, with a novel like this, with so many kind of twists and things going on, how do you plot something like that? Did you have like thousands of index cards and red strings? Yeah, no, I wish like I was like that. Yeah. <laughs> or was I, it just like get it out and then fix think, it later? <laughs> for me, the most important thing when writing and certainly even when editing is um, finding a way to contain the whole thing in my head because I can't. I can't do it and index cards mean nothing to me um you know when i've tried to do that but they've, they've, it's just never worked so for me it was always about i just needed the unbroken time and that that only happened late at night and when i was working or doing anything else i was still in the story and i'm and i'm going through that right now you know like yeah. I'm, I, with book two i'm um i was up till like 2 a.m last night um editing and that was all day yesterday. so that yesterday was like a kind of 14 hour day for example yeah. because i'm like the more i can the more i'm in this story and the more i can completely isolate myself from anything else that could contaminate the story the better and the more i can understand it and with plotting you know i don't i tend not to plot until i absolutely have to um until it doesn't make sense and so with writing this i just i had i think of it like you've got a compass and you're like cool going north but there's like trees and a lake so so you mm. just sort of deviate but you're always heading in a general direction because i kind of had an idea of the ending right. um so for me i just let myself meander when i'm writing the first so did few. you just sort of take some wrong turns yeah along the way, yeah, come yeah back absolutely and, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah no i loved it so there was like a couple of drafts that were well over a hundred thousand words right. um because it was just it just got bloated because it's just all these threads and things happening mm. um and and you know now that it's out in the world, I'm noticing things I could have done to tighten it up, <laughs> and threads I could have, you know, probably done without. So, um, 
which happens you know you never stop wanting to edit the thing um but for so for book two you know plotting hasn't been important um so far because this i had this structure i loved i had the twists in place and i had the ending and so um it was already so fast paced that i didn't need to manufacture anything that just the story kind of happened in this linear sort of fashion that was really i mean i've spoken a bit about this in interviews and stuff but it's it, I don't think it'll ever happen again. I just it just all came out fully formed, very little in mm. terms of plotting and changing things. Um, and now it's a case of, like I said, fully immersing myself in the story and working out what's necessary and what isn't more than what can I add. So yeah. So how are you finding the the balance? Because you obviously you know promoting the the debut novel <laughs> yeah. while working on the se- and you know and so sort of coming to things like this, but also writing. So how how yeah. are you? Yeah, I mean, I love doing that? stuff mm. like this. I like it. It's fun. It's fun. I'm <laughs> not gonna, yeah. I'm not gonna <laughs> bag it out. Um, yeah. But you know, I have done quite a lot of media for Evie, and it just so happens to coincide with when I got structural notes back for right. book two. Um, so you know, as much as I love doing this stuff, and this is softball. You know, I've had mm. to do a whole bunch of stuff. Um, it is. It does. You know, I, I sit down and I'll like I'll do stuff I'll check emails and things. like it's so much harder to get back into it so mm. even this morning when I woke up um, before I came here I was straight back into the story mm. but stuff like this you I have to remember what Evie's about yeah because <laughs> you know? yeah, you're in the other world yeah, yeah. Like, oh, what happened? you know so it's, so it does it, it is um, it's not a distraction but it is um, it is one of those things where you're just sort of moving a little bit out of the out of that sort of dream world you create when you're writing um, and I'm g- sort of pulled back into Evie's world and then I have to go back so um, it's not the time thing of doing the media and stuff it's just the it's just the f- fact I'm talking about mm. something else so I'm not reading either at the moment um, which is I've got panels with people so I have to read their books at some stage coming right. up um, but I'm just not reading until I get this edit done yeah um, you have a podcast of your own, don't you, as well? I do, yeah. And um, so I was wondering as well, like, we've had, you've had a lot of podcasts, I've noticed, um, following you on Twitter, so I'm like, you know, <laughs> so you're doing other things and, um, yeah. you know, doing other interviews and I'm sure that, you know, you kind of get a lot of similar questions, though, different audiences who are These all These questions have been great, by the way. Oh, oh good. Love your work. <laughs> <laughs> you can come back again. Um, but I was wondering, is there any questions that you want, that you wish you'd been asked that have, no one's asked you? Ooh, good <sighs> I mean, I've do- I have done a lot, and mm. you get most. I mean, I've had some funny ones. Uh, who, who have been some some of the funny? It's ones? It's always audience questions that are the funniest. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so one question I do like, I have had a couple of times, is did the character do anything that surprised you? Which I thought was is quite a cool mm. question. Um, oh, you know, like the thing is, I'm a terrible interview. When I interview, I'm like. <laughs> kind of what do i what am i interested about mm. i'm not often thinking about the audience um so my questions always tend to be craft wise yeah um and those are questions that writers do get a lot mm. so um but no i can't really think of anything i mean i've been surprised not many people have asked like what's your favorite book I was going to ask that. Ah! That's all here. Yeah, cool. So, <laughs> um, influences, favorites. Yeah. So I'd, people people say influences, but they say mm. what they, people like. Say I'm asked, what's your favorite? Your favorite. What, what do you I read for hard, pleasure? That's a hard. That's a hard. Yeah, but I like I like mm. making booksellers mm. just hate it because they're like, oh, what, well, what we get you? asked all the time. You know, yeah. what's what's the your favorite book or what's the best book? And it's like, but there's so many. Yeah. You know? 
I can't narrow it down. It is. It's a too, mm. too difficult question. But what the day. is your favourite <laughs> book? Uh, I think Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut. Okay. Ah. So easy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I was prepared for that, you know. Um, and I've got, I've got a. F- you know, it's the same thing. I'm uncomfortable. Mm. Like, how do you choose just one? Um, so, like Blood Meridian, Cormac mm. McCarthy, and also um, the Crossing, the middle one of the all the Pretty Horses trilogy. Oh, yep, yep. I really love that. Um, I've got loads that are that are like in the running, but there's so many good ones that like I can just say Cat's Cradle because it's short. Most people who read it love it. Um, my first experience of reading it was just incredible. Um, so I think for me it is probably um, Cat's Cradle. I do like, I love Helen Garner, um, yeah. but I couldn't say one book that had a, that was I was particularly affected mm-hmm. by. Um, All the Birds Singing by Evie Wilde. I love that book Yeah, so that's much. incredible. And I've spoken yeah. a lot about that, and that's basically where the Evie came from. Uh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and... Um, yeah, I, 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 the work of Gillian Flynn, and you can pick anyone, Gone Girl, Sharp mm. Objects, Dark Places. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I've got loads of favourites, but I think Cat's Cradle is just in, incredible. Incre- it's such an amazing book. Um, mm. I think it's, for me personally, I enjoyed it more than Slaughterhouse-Five. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do, so I, was about to say, I do have one ridiculous question. That, yeah, that, good. Now that all of our, my sensible questions, actually, no, not all no. of my sensible questions have been asked, but we're towards the end now, um, which was that in, in the book, someone has a pair of glasses where the lenses are just glass and yep. not lenses. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I'm saying here. Um, and so my question is that in the back cover, you're wearing glasses, I've, I've glasses. and are they disguise? No. So I, the funny thing is I don't. I haven't been wearing them much when I've been thinking. And I have had this question before, so it's not ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Not like it was like a signing, like where are you glasses? But I um <laughs> so I've got astigmatism and um I've got like it's like point seven five or something. So it's not real. I don't wear them all the time. But I did go through a phase where I was wearing them every day all the time because it just I didn't get eye strain as much and I was working on a computer all day every day. Um, and someone said if you wear them all the time it'll make it worse so mm. I was like mm. and I'm like I don't know if you're an optometrist but I'll take your word for it <laughs> um, so I've kind of stopped wearing it and my optometrist did say if you're not working on the computer you don't need to wear them um, so I have sort of stopped wearing them but I have had that question before <laughs> and it definitely makes me look more bookish uh, <laughs> I was just wondering if it was kind of a method acting a method writing whether method you were writing. like oh, people need disguise but in this book perhaps if I put on some glasses and no and one knows who I am just a fashion statement in they the are, 80s yeah. I did go through a little phase where I wore glasses that were just plain glass because I didn't need them because they looked cool yeah they, they and, you know. about glasses. but also it's it's going to sound crazy, but the moment I sit down and put my glasses on in front of the computer, I'm, my, I'm saying to my body, get ready, you're going to be yeah. here for a while, it's writing time. So um, there's that element to it as well. But in the, you know, when I got my headshots done, I took my glasses out and, um, and I, so I got a bunch without and a bunch with them mm. and, um, and I just sent, sent them all off to my agent and she goes, cool. Glasses. <laughs> yeah, let's go Smart. with these ones. So, um, Yeah. Um, so you said that you're not reading anything at the moment because you need to be fully immersed in your book. I've got um, a book with me, but oh. I always do, I just carry it yeah. everywhere. You know? Like I, I, it's like such an impulse thing. Are you? But are you watching or listening to anything at the moment? Um, TV or uh, not really. You know, I my the setting for book two is like Warrandyte State Park, basically for mm, the most part. Okay. Um, so. I have been. There's a book that has just these tremendous descriptions of of the natural world and that's um uh, it's by gabriel talent it's called my absolute darling yeah 
Um, so I have been, I got that on audiobook because I remember when I read it, I was like, yeah, great. So when I'm walking, um, I have at times just tried to find the parts where he's talking about the natural and trying to be inspired in a way by that. Mm. Um, that's the only th- sort of art form of really engaged in. Mm. Maths, you guys know what that is? Married at oh, first sight. I, I oh, do because right. I've got friends watching. I do not watch. I cannot. I it's, cannot. It's the strangest thing. We went, <laughs> we went to someone's house and they were watching it. And I watched five minutes. I'm like, oh my god, I'm hooked. Yeah. So, um, so <laughs> like, really television. Uh, and that was last Friday. And then so there's been three. It's like on every almost yeah. every night. So there's been I, like I, three I episodes. I only catch up with it on Twitter. I think. Yeah. Everyone's I updates. Yeah. Yeah. Talking about it. But it, I think I've come in at like the really exciting time. So, um, so like last night I had that on because um, I'm not staying at home long story but I'm staying with friends and they just had it on the background and I'm still editing and I've got my headphones in I just drop one out so I can hear what's <laughs> happening and I'm kind of distracted so that's good because it's got nothing to do with what I'm writing about and it's quite a thing but if I am like I said trying to immerse myself in the world of what I'm writing I would tend to avoid books um, mm. yeah yeah well, thank you so much for doing this podcast with us, Josh and JP. It's um, been really great. And thank you, Deb. And, uh, thank you, Fiona. Oh, sure. We're all amazing here. What can I say? Um, and so you've been listening today to JP Pomari t- discussing his amazing new book, Call Me Evie, which is a really great spellbinding thriller. Yes. Um, Twists, turns. Yes. It's, <laughs> and it's works. available from all reading stores, apart apart from Readings Kids, obviously. <laughs> uh, you can stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast on our website, readings.com.au, where you'll also find news, reviews and interviews interviews and information on our current book music and dvd releases uh, you can even sign up to our newsletter the readings monthly thank you so much to tom for recording this session and a special mention <laughs> thanks tom. to tom hoskins as well for his fabulous intro tune this podcast has been recorded at the kathleen syme library and thank you so thank much you. for listening thank you for having me <laughs>